Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I am thrilled honored, proud, excited, happy, all these things I can't even express to bring you something super, super special. It is the brainchild of the Adweek executive mentees, and we had quite a large round this year, 270 mentees with 250 mentors who are just literally blowing my mind every day with the thousands of Slack messages they send to each other, all the ideas they come up with. Their constant quest for knowledge and growth and inspiring each other has led to this podcast where they will not only interview each other, pulling forward some of the best tips that they've learned through the program and from each other, but the first episode and the biggest reason why I'm launching it here on CMO Moves is, well, the biggest reason is to help share this with you if you haven't heard of it, but Also, the four mentors that they interview in this episode happen to be former CMO Moves guests. So that includes Musa Tariq, Kristen Patrick, Sarah Kate Ellis, and Julian Duncan. So it's really fun to hear how the mentees of these mentors turn the tables and really dig in for some interesting advice that not even I got when I had them on the show. So I hope you enjoy this. And if you know of others who can benefit from hearing great career tips and learning from all the mentees who participated this year, please share this with them. They can find it on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, pretty much any podcast channel, just like CMO Moves. And I truly hope you enjoy it. So with that, have a wonderful day, and I'll catch you next time when we return to regular CMO Moves programming. Thank you. It was just one of those moments in your life where you're presented with two paths to take. That's the sweet spot. It's what I like to call swag and substance. The idea got bigger and bigger and bigger the more people we kind of brought into it. I'm Jeremy Schumann. And I'm Ro Colinaros. 
and this is the cheat sheet for your career from the top marketing talent behind the world's biggest brands. We reveal the discoveries that kickstarted breakthroughs in their careers and share the timeless wisdom from their legendary CMO mentors to leave you with tactics you can use today to propel your career to new heights. This is the career advice you wish you had years ago. This is Marketer Momentum. Marketer Momentum. Adam Ornelas from Chipotle, social media and influencer strategist. And I'm super excited to be here with my mentor from the Adweek mentor program, Musa Tarek. Musa, how are you? I'm really excited to talk to you, Adam. Again, the world gets to see our relationship out loud and proud. Yeah, it's one that I'm proud of and I've been super grateful for over the past year since we kicked up this whole thing off. I followed your career. And I've, I've followed the work that you've done and just blown away by being able to touch different industries, different brands. And at the time, I know you were at Airbnb Experiences, and that's a company that to this day is still like an awesome company, both as a consumer and a fan of their branding. And when we first met, we actually got to experience that a bit. The beauty of it was that Adam was in San Francisco. and. We decided to go the next day on an Airbnb experience. And normal mentorship meetings tend to happen right now over Zoom, but previously in person, maybe over a coffee or something kind of formal. You and me went on a tour of a fisherman's wharf with a fishmonger at some unearthly hour of the morning. And it was great to be able to to do an activity with someone where it was so informal and a much better opportunity to get to, to know you. Kind of felt like a first date, Adam. Yeah, yeah. I took you on. It was a really good first. Admit, it was one of the better first dates you've had. It was. It was fantastic. The, the chemistry was... <laughs> what I appreciate about the way that we have approached it is that you'll just call me up. where You'll just text me and be like, dude, I've got, listen, I've got a, a really important meeting tomorrow. I'd love to have a conversation with you about it before. Or Musa, I work on this project. Do you have time to discuss it with me? And love that. And I think it it is the responsibility of a, a mentee just as much to be proactive with asking for help. And the fact that I signed up to the program automatically says, hey, I'm here to help. 100%. One of the things that I got off the bat from you that I think we have a shared an innate just curiosity about and shared passion for is people. I knew from the first time we talked, I remember I was sitting at the office. I had just joined Chipotle at the time, about a month in. And the way that I started going about it, talking on the first phone call, talking to only professional, and you said, hold up, I want to get to know you as a person. You told me your professional life story, but there's so much before that. And I'll never forget that because it showed me how invested you were to really create something substantial with me a genuine relationship and remind me not to rush into something like that so much and it's helped me see how not only you interact in our industry but the people in general to be mindful of, of that for myself as i progress in my career that self-awareness keep continually putting people first it's something that i think i've had but being able to see how you do it as well is really impactful let's put you to the test if you were to mentor someone tomorrow how would you do it differently given our relationship versus how you would have done it before? 
I think for me, it's it goes to getting to know them on a human level beyond the work things, beyond their current role or what they're trying to do professionally. It's getting to know them as a person and setting the table that, look, this doesn't have to be super formal. I think the best relationships, friendships aren't structured certain ways and allowing them to come to me when they need me and also just checking in on my own and making sure that it shows that I have, I'm invested in that relationship beyond bad days at work, great days at work, but them as a person. The other thing that I think is important, and I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, is trust is important between us as well. I know you're CMO. I, I know that you're boss is boss. And I think that I want you to know, and I think it's important that you've always got that trust in me as well. And I feel that tr I have trust in you as well when I come to you. And I appreciate that you have become able to be vulnerable because I think a lot of mentees actually find it very hard to be vulnerable. Like what you don't want to do is show weakness in front of someone. But if you don't show weakness in front of people, you don't show people what your problems are, no one can help you. And I think that, again, another thing that you do brilliantly is you feel comfortable. And I appreciate that. I respect the ability for you to be vulnerable and, and open. I appreciate that. One of the things where my little maxims I always kind of live, live by is display vulnerability to gain relatability to people. You said you mentored a few mentees you've been mentoring for a while. What made you want to put yourself in that space and that role for people? It's a really good question. It's actually deep-rooted, Adam. When I was 20 years old, I was at the London School of Economics, ready to go into to banking because that's all I knew. I had no interest in banking, but it's the only thing I knew because my sister was a banker, my cousin was a banker, there were bankers around me, there were bankers on the news. And really, honestly, I hate saying it this way, it's so crudely, but Brown kids were just bankers, accountants. What you saw was people who were older than me, who looked like me, who were only in those industries. And when my parents passed away at university, I had this moment of reflection. I've spoken about this quite a few times. But when I decided that I wanted to go and do something not banking related, and I really had a love and passion for advertising and communication, I had no one to speak to. LinkedIn didn't exist, particularly no one looked like me. So I just had no one to go through. So I had to go through this journey by myself. And it was a really lonely journey. And it was only until a guy called Michael Ingpong, who was at PNG at the time, reached out to me and helped and gave me some insight. Did I feel like I was getting somewhere? And then slowly along my career, I've had amazing mentors. Adam Bain, who is was the chief revenue officer at, at Twitter, amazing mentor of mine. And I just I find that I've had such value from mentorship that to me, what I want to do is be able to to give back. I hate doing public things. I really, I know my face is out there a lot. I hate doing public things, but I know that you can't be what you can't see. And so I want to be that person that says, okay, cool. This guy had no degree in marketing. He worked his way up from the very bottom. He started from social He's a brown kid, single parent, and he did well. And so if I'm in that situation, I feel like I can do well too. And I really think that representation matters. So I am trying to be be someone who people can look up to and go, hey, if he can do it, so can I. And then the second thing is that I do find that sometimes a 30-minute phone call or 15-minute phone call that I can have with someone can shape someone's life for the future. Because... People have had those 15-minute conversations with me. People who are incredibly successful, people who I respect a great deal can sometimes spend five or 10 minutes on a phone call with me. 
and change the trajectory of my life. That's awesome. And I think it's that passion for it is contagious. And it's interesting now, I'm 31. I'm at this kind of middle point of my career, if you would. And now I'm also being approached to mentor people. And I'm like, am I ready? You don't have to wait for a certain time to be ready. I think people are coming to you because they respect your opinion. They value your opinion. And you're going to impart on them what you know. They're going to impart stuff on you, which you're going to figure out some stuff together and develop this blueprint. Your mentors and mentees don't necessarily need to be people who are older than you or more successful than you. Or Some of my best mentors are my peers. Nick Tran at TikTok, Farron, Wiener. Like, these are people who I've grown up in the industry with, who... And Jen Rubio away. These are people who, when we were all social media managers together at some point, and like it's amazing to see how well they've done. But we've supported each one or other along the way just as much. So your mentors can be your peers, but also I do agree with you, Adam. Like there are lots of people who don't think they can't can mentor, but I can guarantee you, if you are in a full time job, you can mentor someone who's still at school, right? You know what that process was like. So I completely agree with you. I think everyone should do it and even if it's just one person it helps with leadership skills it helps with being empathetic it helps with learning about people and here's the most interesting thing i often find myself giving you advice and i go shit i should be taking that advice myself so it's a good it's a good reminder for me as a parting question for you to the listeners out there what is your creative dare for the next generation of marketers the rising generation of marketers that's a really, really good question. Probably isn't creative, but I do believe that what I see in the industry gives me real hope. I want your generation to be the generation that inspires college students, high school students to be excited about our industry. Our industry today is, to an outsider, is the industry that sells you shit that you don't need. It's the industry that potentially lies to you and can convince you into to buying things and shits on the competition like we see with political advertising. Our industry is so much more than that. And I think that my generation haven't really done a good job of helping people really understand that we are truth tellers and that we do good in the world. And something that I'd love your generation to do is get out there and speak to college students, get out there, speak to high school students and talk to them about the good that marketers can create in the world. That to me is the biggest opportunity that we have to get young people still excited and interested in our industry. I appreciate the question. And Adam, thank you for being a mentor to me during this time. I can make fun of you and as much as I do, but I know you take it because I'm, I'm English and have dry humor as a joke, but keep flying, keep flying. Awesome, man. Thank you, likewise. I'm Jeremy Schumann. I'm a brand strategy and marketing lead who's worked on Nike, Airbnb, and Facebook. And today I'm thrilled to introduce my Adweek mentor, Kristen Patrick. Kristen has had a notorious career behind some of the biggest brands today, ranging from Disney, Revlon, NBC Universal, and Gap, to also being chief marketing officer at not only Liz Claiborne and Lucky, but also Playboy and PepsiCo. I remember when Nadine let me know that I was going to be paired with you. And I was so excited. I looked you up on LinkedIn immediately and I saw your whole career path. And I was like, I'm so lucky to have this opportunity. I was at a really interesting transition point in my career 
But I also remember being really nervous after looking at all you've done. You were like a superhero in my eyes. And I was like, whoa, like I was so nervous going to our first meeting. Oh my gosh. Thank you for that. But in some ways I get more out of our relationship and friendship, I think, than you do. I hope I imbue nuggets of wisdom and can share from my mistakes and learnings. But you've helped me in a lot of ways understand some things that I wanted to get a different perspective on. So it's been a wonderful friendship and relationship. It has. And I can't speak enough to how much you've impacted the way I view my career and myself. I think not to get too vulnerable, but I was at a really moment of self-doubt when our mentorship started. And I remember one thing you said to me that has really stood with me ever since was that in this industry, you have to stand out. And a lot of people are wanting to play it safe and playing scared. But in this industry, to have success, you need to really get comfortable standing out and, and finding those opportunities to swing for the fences. And it really goes down to this idea of, I remember you saying, you need to bet on yourself. And that's something that's always stood with me. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you found those moments for you in your career that could benefit others in the industry like it's so benefited me. I think that early on, I had to learn to figure out what my most important skill sets were. I'm different. I'm truly different. I didn't come up through the packaged goods ranks. I started off in the entertainment industry. And so it was really about understanding how to use my different viewpoint and perspective on the world and really create and develop business results that I think made me stood out, but linking it with my creativity. And I saw something special in you as we started talking. There was a grit, a level of creativity. And it was something that I felt like you should lean into and bring out more. You challenged me to do that. There's those moments when you question yourself and when you have somebody that believes in you, especially somebody that you look up to, it really meant the world to me. And it really made me start to bet on myself more and start pursuing opportunities that I felt were right for me and finding my own unique ways to stand out. So and you hit on the right way for you to approach things and your way of standing out in the industry. Could you go a little bit into that? Were there any specific breakthrough moments when you learned to start betting on yourself and living your more authentic self as a marketer? It's been a journey for me. And inherently, I started off very early on in my career, I think, thinking about things differently, even going back as early as my Revlon days. And over the years, I've really learned to hone this skill set and the development of new ideas and new visions. And I look at four things when I'm making a decision. And it's what's going on from a consumer insights perspective, reading deep analytics, but also seeing what's going on in culture. I think that's really important. And then just in some respects, good old gut instinct. And Usually if I have a nugget of an idea, I will roll it by some of my mentors and people that I admire and my team. And we kind of work on the ideas until it gets to a place where in some respects it takes the risk and guesswork out of what's going to happen. But there's always that percentage of pushing yourself to make sure that it is breakthrough and stand out. I love that little formula you use to evaluate what swings or risks are worth taking. That's something that you've coached me on that I've done to take some risks in my life as well. 
What learnings have you had that changed the way you view and navigate your career that you think could benefit other marketers today? The best advice I can give somebody is not to make decisions out of fear. When I've approached things from a a fear-based perspective, I've made some of the worst decisions, whether that was about taking a job or making a business decision because I felt the company was pushing me that way. Those are the times when I've actually found my heart and soul and strength and really go inside of yourself and figure out truly what the right direction is, even if it means it's an unpopular direction and it's something that you need to fight for. I think that those are the times in my career when the bets have paid off. And I think about leaders that I've admired over time, and they have this thing inside of themselves where they're inherently sure about the direction that they're taking and they're not afraid to speak their mind and they're not afraid to have unpopular opinions. Those are the people that stand out so much for me. That idea of that you hit on, don't make fear-based decisions. Don't play scared. I think that's what makes a great leader that we all want to follow. If you're either asking out of fear or desperation or inspiration. And desperation, if you're playing not to lose, you've already lost. But if you're playing out of inspiration, you're living a life, what could happen if everything went right? It's that fearless offense that makes people want to follow you. That's something I think you embody so much that when you pointed that out for me, so that's some timeless, iconic Kristen Patrick wisdom that we're happy to share with others. What's something you admire about young marketers today? Or what is something you've learned from them? I feel like the next generation coming up in marketing cares so much about the world and social responsibility and in a really inherently authentic way. I look at some of the brands that have caught on to this and sometimes it feels like it's coming from a place of caring more about the business than really doing good for the world. I commend new thinking in that area. And it's something that you don't have to work at. Like it's inherent in how you grew up and the way you view the world. And this idea of a global world and crossing borders and making each other better, but also being responsible for what's happening on this earth. I see it so much in my daughter and something that she comes up with inherently in just like her daily life. So I love that about this generation. I can't wait to see what they do from a marketing perspective and and really making these corporations and brands better for everybody. I think you hit the nail on the head. And that's even more so, I'd say, the generation coming up behind me of we're in this moment of turmoil, whether it's politically or the environment or anything. And every day we get this negative news cycle And then every day you look at what the youth are doing and how Gen Z is standing out and challenging the status quo and standing up and doing things that require this amount of bravery. And every time I see that, I'm like, oh, wow, the kids are all right. Like, like we're going to be okay just because they have this conviction that's inspiring. So talking about the rising generation a little bit now is on this new podcast, our goal is to really challenge the industry to do what we're calling creative dares. So Kristen, as somebody who's led huge brands, huge marketing organizations, has really the pulse on culture, but also on what's coming next, is what is your creative dare for the rising generation of the marketing community? What would you challenge them to do or not to do? I think there's an opportunity for next-gen marketers 
to really think through new ways to embed communication in consumers' lives. The last generation of marketers, it was all about television. We're starting to do a ton of paid performance marketing and social media. What are other ways that we can integrate the companies that we work for in people's lives in meaningful ways? Whether it's through experiential mobile content, there's just got to be other new and interesting ways to get your business and brand out there. Things that we haven't even thought about. I think that's really what I'd love to see. And I don't have the idea or answer just yet, but I do know that the world is changing so dramatically. I think that there's going to be ways to integrate in completely cool and fantastic ways in the future. I think that's a really sharp challenge for everyone listening and the rising generation. As brands were obsessed with this idea of playing a role in culture or in the moment, whether it's through social or, or traditional media, that we forget that as brands, we have the power to really create culture, right? And what are the new ways that you can help your brand play a deep role in the lives of consumers and cultures or even lead a new role? I really can't wait to see what the future holds. As someone who's mastered the playbook that already exists, is who's going to come up here and write the new playbook? Who's going to challenge the best practices and rewrite it? I love it. Thanks so much for your time today. This was super insightful. I'm hoping that some of the marketing community will get some of the wisdom I've gotten. I have to just thank you for all the time you've invested in the program and mentoring multiple people, but me, myself, it's, it's really meant the world to me. Oh my gosh. And likewise, Jeremy. Colinaros. I lead content and culture at Omnicom Group, and I'm here with my illustrious mentor, Sarah Kate Ellis, who we all know and love as the president and CEO of GLAD. She has an incredible background in marketing across publications like New York Magazine and Vogue, and is responsible for completely transforming GLAD into the powerhouse for change that it is today. So, I was very excited to be paired with you. As I was with you, so thank you. And I remember walking up into your office and being a little intimidating, but you set the stage right away to calm those nerves. But one of the things that really stuck out to me that I walked away and I was walking down the street, turning over in my head, is that when we were talking about you making decisions about where you want to go next and what you want to do. Instead, you were thinking about the type of leader you wanted to be and letting the who and the why of that dictate where and what you ended up doing. So can you talk about how that mindset led you to where you are today? Yeah, I think, and look, it's so different for everyone. It really is. But if you have a vision of yourself. And I had a vision very early on that I wanted to be a leader. I didn't know of what or where. At one point, I actually thought it was going to be in the financial services industry, believe it or not. I couldn't be further from that now. But that was at the time all I knew. But what I determined was what was really important was who did I want to be and how did I want to have an impact on the world versus getting caught up in the what and the what will follow. And so I think if you can have a vision for the world, for what your finish line is, and I don't think finish line, but let's just say one of your first finish lines, 
when you will deem yourself a success in your own mind, which is so varying for people, what does that look like? And look at yourself and who you are. That's a very different approach to life than going through the corporate ladder, if you will, step after step. So I think what it does too is give you a lot more freedom. It doesn't have the rigidness of you have to do this, then this, then this, but it does give you a path. And within that path, you do have to follow things. And there are quote unquote boxes to check and things that you need to learn along the way. Yeah. I like that idea of having multiple finish lines. There's not just the one. You'll realize when you do hit them, you're like, oh, I thought this was the finish line, but this is actually, I'm just getting my groove. I'm just getting my sea legs, if you will. So it's interesting as you get older and you move through a career, how it changes. And you talked about the things that you have to do inevitably within those parameters. And you took a few jobs that you didn't necessarily want or love because you you felt like you had to check those boxes and get those skills and expertise. Can you talk about what you gained from those experiences that were not the dreams, but that were necessary? Yes, I took a few of those jobs. One I took, which was at New York Magazine, and because it was a weekly and it was in the marketing department and it was for strictly writing proposals. And I knew I would come out of there like a wild machine. And I wasn't a great writer. <laughs> I was completely intimidated by it. I wasn't very good. And so I felt like in order to run that department, which is what I wanted to do eventually, I needed to understand and get better at doing that so that when I needed to step in or if I was teaching someone else, I had that skill. And I did that for a year. I promised myself I'd do it for a year. I did it for a year. And then I moved on to in style to the job that I wanted. Not all the times is it that well orchestrated. (laughs) There's a little bit of luck in that too. I think it's hard to, when you see that vision for yourself, what looks like almost a step back or a step to the side in service of that forward momentum. Yeah, I think though, what I always valued is I felt that from everybody that I came into contact with during my career, when I started out, I felt like, what can I learn from them? And that is a very different approach than what can I get from them? What are they doing for me? If you think about everybody that you come into contact with is a teacher, it really opens you, I think, so that you are able to learn. Even from the people, I've seen people make really big mistakes. I'll never forget in my first magazine publishing job, there was this woman that we accelerated from like a coordinator to the director of the department in no time at all. And anybody would have looked at that and been very envious, right? Oh my God, what's she doing? How's she doing? And I was like, let me just watch this. And I worked for her. Within six months, she got fired because she moved into a position too quickly. And I thought, I won't make that mistake. So I think every situation, every person that you work with is an opportunity to teach you. And you just need to be open to learning that even the people you don't like or that rub you the wrong way, there's still, there's something to learn there. And even in interacting with them and the way you carry yourself around that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. 
you're always going to have difficult people. <laughs> they will never go away, but it's like, what are you bringing to that? How are you diffusing that? How are you leading that? And you're a leader every day, even if you're entry level, you are a leader. And I can tell you that the people at the top are looking at you as to whether or not you're a leader, even when you're entry level, because you can see them a mile away. Even if you're leading the spreadsheet, you have to do it well and show how it adds value. Totally. And I feel even with people, especially with people who might drive you crazy, how you show up for that, how you rise above that and not get mired. When do you think you transitioned into being the kind of leader you wanted to be? Or do you feel like you always did it in those small ways? Were there any big learning moments? Oh, there have been a lot of learning moments. I felt like I was training for many years in my career, and I think I approached it that way. And that's why when I was talking about everybody as a teacher, I was in training mode. I knew I wasn't experienced enough. And I think that's something that we undervalue these days is experience. And so I spent many years gaining experience, gaining knowledge, learning what I call training, and I think it was before I came to GLAD, I knew I wanted something different. I knew that I really wanted to step into a leadership role. And I knew what I could do in a leadership role was cultural change work of some sort. And if you had one challenge or dare to give to the next generation of rising marketers that they could do to jumpstart their careers or make the next move, what would you tell them? One dare for the next generation would be, so one of the things that I think is really important is to meaningfully contribute in meetings. And I think when you're younger, when you're just starting out, you're taking the pulse of the room, which you need to do. But I think a thoughtful participation is really valuable. I find a lot of this generation to be a little bit quieter and I'm surprised by it. It's like you either get one or the other. You get people who speak up all the time or people who don't speak up at all. And I think thoughtful participation is really critical because leaders want to hear from you. And I think that I would encourage people to thoughtfully participate in the specific rooms that they get in or the meetings that they become a part of. But do your homework, too. That's the critical part. I love that. That's so actionable, too. Yeah. I don't know. What do you find in your meetings? Are people participating at the this newer generation in the workforce? I think it depends. But I've also found a lot of the leaders around me to also be asking and calling on them to say, what do you think? I think people are starting to realize that just because someone's not saying something doesn't necessarily mean they don't have anything to say. Right. That's true. That's really true. And I get it. You have to weigh it. There's a lot going on in your head. You're like, you don't want to sound stupid. You want to ask an appropriate question when you're figuring it all out in real time. But you can also, after you ask a question and if it fails or you can go to whoever it was or your supervisor who might have been in that meeting and just say, did that question not come off as right? I think participation is so important. And it's not just about keeping your head down and getting the job done. That's the expectation that you're going to get the job done. What are you adding to that? What are you bringing beyond that? That's making you stand out. That's adding to the organization. That's adding to the work. 
that's lifting the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think even if you freeze up in the meeting setting afterwards, you can go back and say, here's a visualization that I made of the conversation, or here's a thought that I didn't have in the moment, but I just wanted to connect and chat about. I totally agree. And also, I think something that's critical that we don't talk enough about is positivity and energy, where you're bringing a positive energy, a building energy. I think you should bring constructive criticism. I'm not saying just say nice things. But I think that so much of the work that we do is exhausting. Working is hard and it never ends now, right? Now that we're in quarantine, it's like forever. The lines were getting way blurred before. Now they don't even exist because your home is your vacation is your work. And keeping your spirits high, keeping the energy high and positive, even if it is debating, you can have positive disruption. And I think bringing that energy and enthusiasm to the workplace, to the thoughts that you're bringing is so powerful. A little bit of that energy goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, this was amazing. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Let me kick this off. I'm Nicholas Love, a two-time Ad Week executive mentee. I am the newly appointed vice president of digital marketing. Yeah. Yes, sir. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, much appreciated, man. And, and certainly, I like to tell a lot of people that I've been really blessed with the pairings that I've had. But we'll get into that a little bit later. First, I got to drop 16 bars. <laughs> Julian Duncan is a force. I can remember meeting you know, Nadine back in January, back in California. She said, you really need to know Julian Duncan. I need to be really, really intentional about who I select or I pitch myself to be mentored by, because just to be real about the situation, there's not a lot of people who look like me, right, in the level roles. And and so certainly I was very intentional in, in trying to continue that. And when you look at what you've done, I mean, it's just incredibly impressive, right? Currently, you're the CMO and SVP of Social Responsibility and Impact with the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? Before then, head of global and brand advertising with Under Armour, right? You spent 10 years with, with Nike doing your thing. Two-time graduate of Rice University. I mean, it's been a blessing. Shout out to Nadine. Shout out to God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For even creating this infrastructure and this opportunity, man. I mean, Man to man, I've been humbly blessed and, and really impressed with all the knowledge you've dropped. Wow, man, that, that means a lot to me, man. And thank you for that. I'm kind of overwhelmed, man, because coming up as a kid, I only looked at myself as I'm just JD. You know what I'm saying? I want to use my platform to make a difference uh, in the lives of people that look like me, minorities, black folks, brown folks, people that look like my wife, women that are historically have been disenfranchised and not included in some of these conversations, not included in participation in higher levels of leadership within corporate spaces and marketing spaces. So to be able to have an opportunity to connect with a young lion like yourself and to not only be honored to be a mentor, but frankly, you've inspired me, you motivate me. As I alluded to earlier, you really talked about this idea of developing a signature move. 
Talk about the importance of developing a signature move. And for those who might be a little confused, exactly what does that mean? Signature move is really important and critical because it really all goes back to, it's just another way of saying, find a way to create distinction as you think about it, go about your day-to-day duties. I like to think about things through the lens of sport a lot. Just built that way. Been, sport's been a part of my life since I was a young and and I think one of the most impressive signature moves that you can see right now playing out in front of you is a guy named James Harden, the beard down in Houston. James Harden has a couple of moves that are uniquely his own, but they're just innovative takes on what has already been established. So he has a ridiculous three-point shot that you can see it when it's coming, but you can't stop it. Dribble between the legs, and dribble, dribble, step back three so he the three-point shot has always been there like for years and years but he took a step back instead of going forward he's he's moving backwards which is is counterintuitive but he's moving backwards to create separation create space so he can get that shot off and he hits it and that just has made him in part that's been a big factor in him becoming the superstar that he is today that's the development of this signature move and so for us in the marketing space, what does that actually mean? Number one, he didn't wake up out of the bed one morning and just like started hitting that shot. He had to train. He had to practice. He had to show himself approved. So that for, for us, as we're looking for that signature move, that thing that's going to make us famous, that thing that's going to make us going to make our name ring out, we got to make sure that we know what we're talking about, that we're being super insightful as marketers and we're being super thoughtful that we're making sure that we're keeping the main thing, the main thing, whether it's the consumer being first or it's understanding where the business is going to go, having situational awareness and, and really knowing the time to score. And then uh, delivering in the moment of truth in ways that people around you or even competitors are not. How do you go about your job differently? How do you market differently? How do you create those high-touch human interactions in ways that other people don't? So it's not necessarily a call for you to reinvent or even become an inventor as much as it is a call for you to be innovative in your approach towards a thing. And for me, just to bring it to a close, my signature when I was at Nike, and it's something that actually has carried throughout my career, is that I made sure that I was the guy that did two things when you walked into a room. I was bringing the consumer into the room with me at all times. Right? I was an advocate for the consumer. It wasn't about my business. It wasn't about the product necessarily that we were trying to sell at the time. It was about the consumer. What is going on with the consumer? And then the other thing that I, I used to develop a signature move was being a guy that didn't let common sense leave the room. Okay? So how many times have we all been in these meetings? You can get so caught up in the marketing mumbo jumbo that common sense makes a dead sprint out of the room and you make a decision that at the end of the day, you're left scratching your head. So you got to make sure that you bring the consumer into the room and that common sense doesn't leave the room. And those are the two things that I used to create distinction. It became my signature move that I became, quote unquote, famous for. That's dope. So one of the biggest things that as I was preparing to be promoted, And I asked you, I said, when you make that transition, like, what is the best advice that you can offer me? And and one of the things that really stuck with me was this idea of maintaining relevance in the spaces that I've come from, even after receiving a promotion. And so like for me, my, if I'm a T-shaped marketer, right, my deep vertical expertise has primarily been in social. And so I'm bringing on email, bringing on 
web and bringing on advertising and bringing on all of these other different areas. But what you said, maintain your relevance in the area that you're known for. Can you talk a little bit more about why that's so valuable? Yeah, for sure. For me, it started with understanding how bilingual I was in a non-traditional sense where I can, I'm completely comfortable and can have a legitimate conversation back in the neighborhood that I came from and be equally as comfortable in a boardroom today. But that's because I continue to maintain an empathy for both spaces. And that helps me to drive communication in both spaces. And at the end of the day, it's just about being human in all those spaces. And so similarly, when you talk about maintaining relevance in where you're coming from, whether it's from a functional standpoint and you're moving on to a different role, maintaining communication and empathy still, it still holds true. As you're leaving PR and you're moving to vice president of marketing or whatever, just as an example, you don't want to all of a sudden just turn your nose up at the function that you just came from because I'm now in this elevated position and I'm better. Like, no, you want to make sure that you bring that insight along with you. You bring that world along with you. And then you also help the people in that world that you just left. You help them connect the dots because when you do that actually helps them become more enterprise thinkers, and it makes their function even more valuable and more deadly as contributors to the overarching office. It really is important to, to maintain that connection and then you extend it into the marketplace. It really is a key factor in driving a connection through storytelling and just like through human interaction, right? Because when you can make those connections, you, you can ultimately get the best out of people, whether it's a teammate or even if it's a consumer. So real quick, kind of to build off of that authenticity point, what is your challenge to the next generation of marketing? That was easy. It's going to sound real soft and fluffy, but be human. Because like we're in a day and age where data is essentially king and queen and jack and ace and every other card in the deck. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all flesh and blood. We all have feelings. We all have things going on in our worlds. We're not stacks of data. Data is important. We need to embrace it. We need to leverage it. We need to use it. But at the end of the day, we're human beings. And as a marketeer, as marketing leaders, you can never forget the importance of being human and connecting to people on a one-to-one -one basis, solving problems for, removing friction points for human beings so that they can connect to your brand so that they can live their life to the fullest so that they can have a better day. You feel me? It's a real simple challenge. Be human. All right, man. I appreciate the knowledge. And again, I appreciate everything that I've been able to pick up as a part of this, this experience. Listen, I'm going to say this. I know we got to go. This is no smoke at all. But the honor and the, and the pleasure is all mine, man, because I am truly motivated by you, by your energy. Marketer Momentum was produced in partnership with Julian Lewis and TJ Bonaventura from StudioPod. Thanks for tuning in. We know you're making good on those creative dares. So share with your friends and tweet at Adweek with hashtag Marketer Momentum. And if you have nice things to say about us. Only nice things though. Write us a review on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also special thanks to Adweek.
Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.